Brother, would you move it up for me just a little bit? Thank you. Don't you ever, ever, get all the way to the edge. Thank you, my brother. Don't you ever get used to this worship team. Amen? How many believe that God has blessed us with a great worship team? Do you know that they have an album you can listen to for free at our app? Check it out or on iTunes, Spotify, all the places that you get good music. I want to thank you for coming here today. I'm so honored that you're here. We're going to have a guest speaker in just a moment. We're going to do something fun called Tag Team Preaching. You guys might have seen tag team wrestling, but today we're going to do tag team preaching, and that means he's going to preach a little, and I'm going to preach a little, and God's going to do a whole lot. Amen. His name is Joshua West. He's here with his beautiful wife, his beautiful son right there. He works with the organization that was started by David Wilkerson. How many have ever heard of him? He's a hero of our faith. We love him, a modern-day apostle. Started what became known as Teen Challenge, the largest Christian-run drug hab program and most successful in the world. And it started in New York City when God called him out of an old farm church to start working working with gangbangers, and the book is back there, and you should get it if you don't have it. If you can't afford it, the church will bless you with it. He'll tell you more about that, and it's called The Cross and the Switchblade, and check this out. It was such a powerful move of God. I'm telling more about this than he is, because first service, he's went right to preaching, so maybe I'll tell a little bit about your organization, but it was so amazing. I want everyone to watch this, that Pat Boone played him in the movie Reenactant, a reenactant of, the, of The Cross and the Switchblade. That that would be like Brad Pitt playing me in the reenactment of what God did here in Chicago. Some of y'all just can't get that through your mind, but isn't that amazing? They made a movie about it called Crossing the Switchblade, Gangbangers Getting Saved. Nicky Cruz specifically, who we really love, I got to meet him once, a powerful man of God, Adam, who preached for us, that's his spiritual mentor. So you can look up these stories, Crossing the Switchblade, David Wilkerson, Nicky Cruz. Well, he was the gangbanger that got saved, and he was played by something Estrada. What's the first thing? Eric Estrada. Yes. Can you imagine this? Pat Boone, the who's who of that time, and Eric Estrada redid that, made that, you know, reenacted that, and made a movie. That would be like The Rock playing somebody here, you know, maybe Joe B being played by The Rock. Me, it would be Brad Pitt for me. You know, Jay Lowe would have to play Griselda or something, you know. It's just all of these famous movie stars, think about it, playing the roles of the pastors and what God did. That's the organization that he represents. They do so much for the Lord. Would you bless him as he comes today? Joshua West. Come on up here, man of God. I'm excited for what you have today. Tell us a little bit more. I don't mean to get into your preaching time. It's second service. We can go as long as you want. But tell us something great that maybe we wouldn't all know about this ministry. Amen. Well, uh, just, uh, just a brief history. So he, he kind of alluded to it, but you all know who David Wilkerson is. You know, so David was a small town Pennsylvania pastor who was pastoring a church like many other churches. It wasn't like a fledgling church or a, uh, you know, he was, it was fine. Everything was fine. What changed David's life was he decided to put his TV away and he just wanted to seek the Lord in prayer. And he asked the question I think we should all ask as Christians, Lord, what would you ask of me? Like even in a, as a minister, he's a pastor, he's, he's already doing God's work. What would you ask of me? And, and David says that God began to stir his heart 19 days later, sent him to Brooklyn, New York, where there was kind of at the time a trial of the century. Several young men had killed another young man, 
and um, a polio victim, actually, these kids who are in a gang. And David said that God broke his heart. Yes, for the, the, the boy who died, of course, but for those boys in the jail, he just didn't understand, you know, why that happened. He wanted to go preach to them. And so basically he went to, um, to the courthouse. He tried to get in to see them. They kicked him out of the courtroom. They mocked him. The, the reporters actually snatched a picture of him, and they said, why aren't you holding your Bible up? Are you ashamed of it? And he holds his Bible up like this. It's probably one of the most iconic pictures there is of David Wilkerson. Because of that picture, when they were mocking him, when he began to go street preach in the streets, the gang members knew who he was when before they would you know yell at him or throw rocks at him or whatever. They said, wait a minute, it's that preacher in the newspaper that was there to minister to those gang members. And from that street preaching started Teen Challenge. And I'll just tell you, David, David actually did go to some churches and to some social services and say, what are we doing for these young people who are in gangs and who are dying and who are addicted to drugs? And they said, get out of Brooklyn, Pastor Wilkerson. You're going to get yourself killed. But he didn't. In fact, he forged, he, he, by God's power, he started a ministry that spread across this country. Listen, there was no programs like this in 1958 they the, the the adage was once an addict always an addict once the needle's in your arm your life's over and so David would start teen challenge and it would spread across the country the third teen challenge ever opened was here in Chicago and today there's 250 of these centers in the United States there's 1500 worldwide David would go on to write the book and hand off world or teen challenge to his brother Don but he would spend the next several years as an evangelist and as a preacher and as an author ministering all over the world and eventually started Times Square Church. And so that's sort of the, the, the root system. That's, there he is right there. That's the picture. Look, Joe found it in a hurry. But um, that's the sort of root system our, our ministry is born out of. And today we still believe in the power of the gospel, the power of God's word. And that's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about the power. We talk about the Word of God. We talk about God. But we're going to talk about the power of God. And we're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. And this is titled, In Demonstration of the Spirit and Power. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 verses 1 through 5 says, And when I came to you, brothers... I did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing amongst you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And when I was with you, I was in weakness and fear and in much trembling. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power. So that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men. But in the power of God and brothers and sisters, this is the word of the Lord. God, we thank you for your word, Lord, a lamp into our feet and a light into our path. God, I pray like I did in the first service, Lord, that your spirit would guide your words, not my words, but your words like arrows to hit the hearts of your people, God. Lord, to draw lost people to repentance. God, to to 
Call in backslidden people and to equip and establish the saint, Lord. Lord, to conform us to the very image of Christ. To equip us with boldness and power as we stand up in this dark age, Lord. We do this for your glory. We do this that your kingdom might come and your will might be done, God. The Bible gives us, Lord, all of the things we need to know, but your spirit gives us the power to walk them out. It's not by might, it's not by power, but by your spirit, saith the Lord. And we ask these things in the precious, marvelous, and powerful name of Jesus. Amen. Well, just a quick backdrop of context for the scripture I just read. Uh, I'm sure many of you who have studied the Bible know this, but maybe many of you don't if you're new um, or just getting into learning about the Bible. But this letter written to the Corinthian church is Paul, a church that Paul started in a very pagan place. If you look at the history of Corinth, which I've been in Corinth and studied there, and we actually uh, walked through the land and taught videos there, talked with Greek scholars um, in that area, and just walked through the land, and they showed us um, many things about the land. There was a temple for prostitution in Corinth where they venerated to gods. Listen, Corinth was, if you want to think about the, the decline of America, Corinth had all those things. Corinth had sexual immorality that was endorsed. And, 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 and Corinth had affluence. And Corinth had all sorts of pagan wickedness. And so when Paul writes this letter, when he plants this church here, Paul didn't start uh, with a group of people who had a great understanding of the things of God. It wasn't like the prophets of the Old Testament looking at the people of God and saying, repent and return to God. You know the law. You know the right things to do. You know what God's commandments are. No, he's walking into a culture of people that are godless and pagan. And brothers and sisters, we are probably several generations removed from godliness in our culture here. And there are many people in the streets who think they know what Christianity is and they have heard the name of Jesus. But it's been my experience that most couldn't articulate what the gospel really is, what Christianity really is. To most of them, what our message is, not the false Christians who are in the mega churches who are telling you can do you, but the real churches, what they think about us is more this. They know that what we think about them is a list of moral rules. Oh, they're against all the things that we like, which we are, <laughs> but... But that's, what they, that's the beginning and the end of what they think about us. You're the ones judging us. I had a guy one time when I was doing prison ministry. And he said, listen, you come in here and you're being all high-minded and judgmental. You can't judge me. And I said, listen, I'm not a judge. I'm a messenger sent on behalf of the judge. But the judge is coming. And that's the truth of the gospel. We are bringing good news. It's good news for repentant sinners. And so when Paul showed up to the land of Corinth, he didn't show up there with like an advisory board or, or a bunch of worldly wisdom or anything. You know what Paul showed up to Corinth with? He showed up with the word of God and the power of the spirit of God. 
And I don't want to get like hyper charismatic up in here, but I think sometimes, brothers and sisters, we, we wonder why we don't see God move in power because we think the Holy Spirit is goosebumps or the Holy Spirit's going to kind of just like come and do some magic for us and then we're going to go, oh, now we can step out in faith. Listen, it doesn't say to chase signs and wonders. It says go forward preaching the gospel and signs and wonders will follow you. And that sounds good behind a pulpit, but it's not all that easy when you walk out in front of a world that hates your message. And even though many of them wouldn't articulate it, hates your God. So the reason I say all that is to remind us that this is the environment that Paul showed up into. And it was a, an environment where he acknowledges that he wasn't some like super powerhouse that never was afraid or had it all figured out. He just had a commission from God. And by faith went forward in it. And he even says himself, listen, I was afraid. I, I didn't come with the wisdom of the world. I didn't come with worldly resources. I didn't come with worldly power. Pastor Joe mentioned this in the first chapter of Corinthians uh, at the end of last service. Which is interesting because we didn't know what each other was going to preach about. But he was talking about the fact that he said, listen, not many of you are of noble birth. Not many of you were wise or mighty in the world's eyes. God takes the foolish things of the world. And sometimes a guy like me who used to be a drug addict and, you know, kind of from recovery circles, sometimes we can let our testimony out magnify the glory of Christ. We want to make it about us. Like, look at me, look at me. So my testimony is merely a backdrop that's meant to magnify and glorify the power of the risen Christ. And sometimes we can say, yeah, yeah, God will help the, the drug addict and God will help. But listen, God can even save uh, upper west side middle class people too. If they realize they're foolish. If they realize they're weak. The Bible says, blessed are the poor in spirit. For they will inherit the kingdom of heaven. And so Paul's saying, listen, this message that I gave you was, was powered by one thing. The spirit of God. In Romans 1.16, Paul says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God for salvation to all who believe, first to the Jew and then to the Gentile. We live in a culture today where many people in the church are ashamed of the gospel. They are ashamed to say, thus saith the Lord. They are ashamed to say that this is a sin. Listen, I will never apologize for what God's word says, ever, and neither should you. That's not being arrogant. That's not being rude. Because you're not the judge. You're a trusted messenger. Making proclamation. See, here's the question. Who do you fear? Do you fear the one who sent you out to proclaim the message? Or do you fear the one he sent you out to? Because when you go and you say, well, I don't really want to upset them. So I won't really emphasize on this part too much. You know what part I preach to people? The part they need to hear in that moment. When my, my cousin, who I love dearly, called me and she said, Hey, I still want to live for God, but I think I'm homosexual. She goes, What do you think about that? I said, Open your Bible, Megan. And turn, and, oh, no, 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 don't go to those scriptures. You're going to just judge me. Once again, I'm not a judge. I don't have any authority in that realm. I'm a messenger. And the most loving thing we can do 
is give his message. And the message always is this from the very beginning. From that time on, Jesus began to preach the message of repentance. The, the, John the Baptist preached the message, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. Peter preached the message of repentance. Paul preached the message of repentance. Listen, when, when Paul showed up in Corinth, he didn't say, hey guys, guess what? You guys have the Olympics happening down. I got a, I got a sermon series about it. It's going to be great. Like our at the movie series or whatever nonsense afraid cowards are preaching from pulpits of churches. I'm not being mean. I'm not being hateful. I'm saying the word of God is enough. And if we want to see the spirit of God move in power, we have to have our confidence in the word of God and the spirit of God. And I'm here to tell you, I've been in situations in my life where I've preached the word of God. I remember preaching the word and being afraid. I remember standing on, on, on a place in Africa when I began to preach the word of God to a group of people who were happy to hear it. And then I noticed this other group of people sort of forming around them that didn't look the same as this group of people. And I realized that they were Hindus and they were very extreme. And they were angry at me. And I told my interpreter, I said, don't, don't not say anything I'm saying. I was, ter- I was afraid. But I was also afraid that he was going to try to make the message softer. So I'm not, I, I only mention that to say that I understand that when we face people, that, we, that it, there, there is fear. But the, the biggest fear for most of us isn't that they'll take our lives, that they'll put us in jail. It's that we'll be embarrassed. It's that we'll be thought of as fools. It's that we won't have social influence. We won't get as many likes. They won't come to our house. They'll mock us. And for you to be effective as a gospel witness, you have to come to terms with that at the very beginning. And I'm convinced, not that we never get afraid, not that we ever make blunders, but I'm convinced that the reason many people, even people behind the pulpits of churches, don't preach a convincing message about the gospel is because they're not convinced. Because to me, it's everything or it's nothing. Either I am going to stand before God and give an account one day, or I'm not. There really is no in-between. And here's the other side. That's the sort of like the judicial side of it. But the other side of it is this. When I think about what Christ did for me on the cross, when I think about the fact that he took a blasphemer, took a drug addict, took someone who was sexually immoral, took someone who lived to gratify my flesh, took someone who mocked God and made fun of him and died for me and rose for me and grabbed me out of the trap house and saved me into the eternal family of God. Listen, if you think about this, as a little example, a little story. Like if your house was on fire. There's your story, Joe. Your house is on fire and you're, you want to rescue your wife and your kids out of there. But all of a sudden, one of the beams comes down and it hits your back and breaks it. And someone who's like working on the fire sees you and they pull you out. You can't help your wife. You can't help your kids. And you're helpless. You're just there looking at the house burn. And this guy just appears out of nowhere. And he runs in there and says, I'll get him. And he grabs your children. And he throws your wife over his back. And he comes out carrying them. 
And as he is, fire is all around him. And it's burning his face. It's burning his arms. And he lays your children at your feet. And he lays your wife down. And he falls down. And they're okay. A few months later, a couple years later, you're sitting in front of your house drinking a, a Dr. Pepper. And you're there with your friend and they go, oh, look at your neighbor over there. That guy's weird looking, dude. Look at those scars on his arms. Look at his face. He kind of looks like a monster. You know what I'd say? Shut your mouth. Those scars mean something to me. Those scars saved my family. That man's my hero. And you know where I'm going with it. But when we reflect on the cross, when we reflect on the suffering Savior who owed us judgment, who owed us condemnation, but instead, but instead died for us and saved us. He didn't just pardon us. He actually made us part of the family in God. He, he, he let his spirit dwell within us. He gave us authority and sonship. How could we ever be ashamed of him? How could we be ashamed of that gospel? Unless maybe we're, we really don't understand what it means. The reason much Christianity today is powerless is because we are ashamed of the gospel. Most people wouldn't say this directly. But oftentimes we're so desperate to be accepted by the world or to hold on to a job. I'm here to tell you when they come in with that piece of paper and say you got to sign this to affirm to keep your job that this sexual lifestyle is sin. Are you going to choose the job? You better push the paper back. Let's just break the scripture down real quick. And we'll get Pastor Joe up here. He says, when I came to you, brothers, I didn't come preaching to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. Corinth and all of the Greco-Roman world was heavily influenced by philosophy. People debated the latest topics of the day. It's really no different than today. You listen to people talking about the high-minded, highfalutin things. We, a lot of us get ours off of YouTube. But, but even the academics of our day, this theory, that theory, and the intelligent people are, are, are on one side of the argument or the other. There's nothing wrong with talking about social issues or talking about philosophy or something. But Paul says, what I brought to you has nothing to do with those things. What I brought to you is above all of those things. What I brought to you, all those things bow down before. It's the, listen, today the problem is much of the church wants to see this through the lens of everything else. We want to look at it through the lens of the social sciences. We want to look at it through the lens of psychology. We want to look at it through the lens of whatever pop culture or social science or, or whatever that the world is enamored with at the moment and all of those things must bow to this listen anything you set up above God's word becomes the judge of God so when they say you still believe that old weird stuff in there because I, I read this article from scientific today I said well of course I do because God's the creator of the universe and, and, and you can correct me if, if, if you don't agree with this. This is your, your body of believers. I'm not saying you have to theologically understand everything out of the Bible because I sure don't. And I'm not saying that you can't make mistakes. But I don't believe that you can really be in communion with God and take chunks of this thing and say, yeah, I believe all this stuff, but I don't believe that part. You might misunderstand it contextually. You may still be growing and learning of it like I am. But if you just look and say, oh, no, not that one. I can't say that's sin. I can't say this is wrong. I can't say this is still for today. 
I, I reject that part of it. Listen, to reject God's word is to reject God. And that's the problem with much of the culture. We want to reject the parts of God, God's word we don't like. And we want to accept the parts that make us feel good. And you can't have it both ways. Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ and him crucified, stumbling block to Jews, foolishness to Gentiles. But both Jew and Gentile who are being saved, the power and wisdom of God. Or how about 1 Corinthians 1.17 where Paul says, God didn't send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom or eloquence, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. Hear me, when we inflict our worldly wisdom on the gospel, we remove the power of God from it. Because it's all Jesus or it's nothing. The gospel is not Jesus plus anything. It is just Jesus. And the spirit of God, and here's the power part. The spirit of God empowers the word of God. When I preach about Jesus, when I go, because I go to a lot of different kinds of churches. Some that are more biblically faithful than others. Some that are not very biblically faithful. And so when I preach many segments of scripture, I don't just say Jesus. I I like to say Jesus as revealed in scripture. Because I don't want them to get confused with the Jesus they've made up. Or the American Jesus that they've made up. Or the Jesus that accepts your sin. Or the Jesus that will conform to your image. I want them to know that I'm talking about the word that was in the beginning. Who spoke the world into existence. Paul said, the only thing I have decided to know among you is Christ and him crucified. When I, well, listen, when I was first a Christian, I battled with a lot of the things we all battle with. Because I was a musician, I kind of had like this image, right? And I wanted people to, like, I wanted them to know I was a Christian, but I kind of wanted them to know about my street cred too. The little character of myself that I made. Listen, I pastored a Teen Challenge for years, everybody has one. There's the gang guy who wants to follow Jesus, but he wants you to know that he could whoop you too. Or, or, or the musician guy that still wants you to think he's cool. Or the, the philosophy scientific guy that's cool with Jesus, but he still wants you to think he's worldly smart. But to be effective for the gospel, all that lays down and dies. Here's the truth. That was a character who I was. I didn't even know who I was in Christ until I laid down my life and followed him. And now all I want people to know about me is, is that I'm, I'm a messenger of Jesus. That I'm a son saved by grace. And, and people who know that, listen, it makes your testimony shine bright like the sun. Because that's all I'm standing on. It's all I got. And if the spirit of God didn't show up to empower my words, I don't got anything. And neither do you. When we preach about repentance, and I, I don't even know where I'm at. I got five minutes. When we talk about repentance, we have to articulate what we mean. When we preach the gospel, this is repenting and accepting the good news of Jesus Christ. There is a gospel that's being preached today that doesn't have anything to do with repentance. It's an easy believism gospel. It's to confess the name of Jesus and go do you gospel. But when I actually got saved, I became very aware of my sin. It just all, in fact, I thought I turned into an even worse person. It's like my eyes were just open. I was like, man, not only am I a drug addict, man, I'm just angry and I'm lustful. And golly, the light of God had shined into my heart. 
And all I was left to do was say, God, help me. Change me. I can't, man, I tried. I can't change myself. I can't get sober. I can't stop being lustful. I can't stop being selfish. And it's at that place that God begins to transform your life. But I want you to understand something. There is a false version of repentance. If you read 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 10, it says, Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. But worldly sorrow brings death. The reason I mention that is I don't want you or anyone else to ever get confused about what worldly sorrow is. Because, see, listen, the difference between believers and non-believers is this. A believer can still sin. The difference between a truly a regenerate believer and a non-believer is this. is We now hate the sin we once loved. See, everybody mourns the consequences of sin. Like you're sorry that your wife found out what you were looking on the computer at. Or you're, you're sorry that you got in trouble at work. Or you're even sorry that someone else's sin afflicted consequence on someone you love. Oh man, I'm sorry that happened to you. That's this morning the consequence of sin. But see, like King David, the true believer mourns sin itself. When he had fallen into a dark season of backsliding sin, and the prophet revealed it to him, and his eyes were open to it, he didn't go, oh man, what's going to happen with my kingdom? Oh man, my wife, or man, I feel so bad about it. No, he said, God, I've sinned against you and you alone. And let me tell you something. You're never going to overcome sin in your life. Or in the dark, listen, being at church and being around Christian friends, you can pretend and do all this stuff. The person who actually overcomes sin is the person who's sorry he sins against God. And that's a, par- a person who has been, the gospel has been deeply embedded in his heart. The reason I'm sober today is not because I found a formula for being sober. It's because I realize Jesus is here now. And Jesus is in me. And Jesus has given me the power to overcome. And when I do fall short, I'm sad. Yeah, of course I'm sad if there's a worldly consequence. But I'm sad because Jesus died for me. And that, my friends, is worldly repentance versus godly repentance. Let me get to the very end of this here. The last three verses, it says... And when I was with you, I was in weakness and fear and much trembling. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and power so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men or in the power of God. When the gospel is preached and people repent and lives are transformed, there's no, listen, when, when the real thing happens, there's no doubt about. Like when people look at my life, people from my past, they still call today. Like, what, you're a preacher? Is this the same Josh West? I'm not saying this in a bragging way. And it's not any different for the drug addict as it is for the the middle class person who just casually shrugs off God. It's a radical change because not only do you stop doing the bad things that you once did. That's what the world thinks about us. Our heart and our affection is changed towards something else. Christianity is not about a list of things we don't do. It's living your life for the glory of God. As a preacher, let me tell you what. Every person who comes to me says this. What's the purpose of my life? Pastor Joe, what's the purpose of my life? I know the answer to that question for every one of you. And for every person ever created. Your purpose is to worship and glorify God in all that you do. Number two, to be conformed to the image of Christ through his word. And number three, to make disciples. 
That is the purpose of all creation. That is the purpose of every person ever born. And any of us who aren't doing those things are in rebellion to God. There was a spider, so I just knocked it out. So here's my closing. When we look at the New Testament and we see the church popping up in these places like Ephesus and Corinth and uh, in this first century context. Where, where's the, like, I mean, for my whole ministry, people were like trying to find the pattern so they can replicate it. Like, what's the pattern? Well, I'll tell you what the pattern is. The word of God was proclaimed under the power and the anointing of the spirit of God and Christ built his church. Now, there's more. He wrote a book about discipleship. There's things where you, you get, but I'm saying that is how the gospel is delivered through proclamation of the word of God. And we live in a culture where people tell us it's not enough. There's even people that have told me, don't waste your time street preaching. You can reach more people by preaching in a coliseum or writing books or those things are fine. Don't, don't, listen, that one-on-one thing just don't work anymore. Listen, that is God's effective means of grace he commands every believer to. Don't you think that's a work of the enemy? The reason why we think that, though, is, and here's the end. We don't have, we don't have confidence in two things. One is this. We don't have confidence in the power of the Spirit of God anymore. Many of us don't want to be associated with the weirdo Christian group. We want to be the nice, respectable Christians who get invited to the nice, respectable places. We want, to, we, want to be, we want to be on the right, if we're professional, like, known people. like my, We want to be invited to the right talk shows. There's a certain kind of preacher that gets invited on Oprah. I'll be careful. But none that I would listen to. I'm not being critical. What I'm saying is we want both and we can't have it. Either we're the ones that believe in this this radical gospel transformation by the power of the Spirit of God, through the work of the Spirit of God, the Spirit by which we live and move and have our beings, who gives gifts to us, who helps us bear fruit, who gives us power. Or we think we have something to do with it, which Paul says delineates the actual power from it. We don't have confidence in that. And in an ever-increasing way in our world, we don't have confidence in this. There is nothing of under greater attack in our culture than this. And here's my final scripture for you. When Paul wrote his final letter to, the, to Timothy, what did he say to him? Well, just think about this. If you don't know this, in 2 Timothy, Paul was about to be killed after he wrote this letter. Just weeks or days later, beheaded. He knows this because at the end of the book, he says, I'm already being poured out like a drink offering. I've ran my race. I've fought the good fight. And in this final letter he writes to the pastor, he's basically handling the mantle off to. In the, the final second to last paragraph he writes to him, he tells him this. Listen, 2 Timothy 4.1, he says, I charge you in the presence of God who will judge the living and the dead and by his appearing in his kingdom to preach witty topical sermons that make people feel good about themselves. 
No, he said, preach the word. Preach the word. And when do you do it? Listen to me. He said, do it when it's in season and when it's out of season. So when they're saying hallelujah, preach the word. And when they're clapping you down, preach the word. And when they're putting you in jail and canceling you, preach the word. Doing is popular. Doing they hate you for it. Preach the word. Because there is no power for a preacher or a Christian outside the word of God. Because the very spirit of God wrote this book. Preach the word. Why? Because there will come a time when people will not endure sound doctrine, but instead will surround themselves with preachers who will say what their itching ears want to hear. But Paul says, not you. And listen, brothers and sisters, not you. Discharge the duties of your ministry. Men, women in your home, discharge the duties of your ministry. Shepherd those children. In your workplace, discharge the duties of your ministry. On the streets, discharge the duties of your ministry. Be a faithful evangelist. Be sober-minded and preach the word. Pastor Joe. Come on, man. This is like Andre the Giant with Hulk Hogan putting somebody in a headlock, tapping in, boom. We haven't really done this before, but I, I just felt it in my heart to do it, so I hope you're enjoying it. Turn with me now in your Bible to Acts chapter 9. I want to take you to the story of how Paul got that power. This is what I said to my brother. I said, brother, I want you to preach two different services, uh, sermons in the services. I'll tag team, but don't tell me what they are. I just want to hear it and then come up with that fresh word, that fresh fire, yeah, yeah. So right now, man, that's just me listening to this man of God. And I want to now give you some meat on the bone for Paul and then make it applicable. Go to Acts chapter 9, verse 17. Because he went to Paul's scripture, taken off from where we left off in first service. I know what you're saying now. That was amazing. But notice this. Paul says, I've got power, and that's what I rely on. That's what our brother was encouraging us with. We rely on the power of the Holy Spirit. Can I hear an amen to that? That's what we're relying on. We are Christians. We're not relying on our gimmicks. You see, if this church is going to grow, it needs to grow based on the Word of God, not a gimmick. If you're here today, I hope you're not here for a handout. I hope you're not here today because I'm funny. I hope you're not here today because I'm a cool pastor, that it's fashionable, that your children like our youth group, just in the sense of it's something for them to do positive. I hope that you're here because you see God's Word being preached. Amen? And if I am a cool pastor, right on, man. I like that. That's I want to be a cool pastor than a lame pastor, right, dude? That's what I want. You know, they're coming to the house today to hang out, you know. And it's like, man, I want to be a cool pastor. But if I'm not, that's okay. I want to make you laugh at times because I'm a funny guy. I like to do funny things. I have a sense of humor. But I'm not a comedian. I may not be some of your style of humor. That's okay. I'm more in like awkward style of humor, okay. It takes a certain person to get me. And you've known that we've been in these moments together. But guess what? If More than making you laugh, I want to get you filled with the joy of the Holy Spirit, okay. So notice this. We're here depending on the Holy Spirit to do that. Because how do I, Joe, 46 years old, from Fort Wayne, Indiana, span everybody's sense of humor, span everybody's likes and dislikes, how I am in my fashion? How can I do that? I can't. 
But the Holy Spirit knows how to take this word and to put it in every one of your hearts and to motivate you into something that is the most important thing you will do. I have a higher calling than the self-help guru today on TikTok. I'm not just trying to get you rich. I'm not just trying to get you into shape and sell my vitamins. I am here as a pastor to get you to have the word of God and an experience with it and have that power to where you can live it out and you and I can go shoulder to shoulder in this society whether they like us or they don't. Can I hear an amen? And Paul demonstrated he was down for that. Paul was a smart person. Paul had gone to the who's who school of that day. Paul had been appointed by his leaders. But notice in that passage that we had read from Paul, Paul said, I did not rely upon my eloquence. I did not rely upon my education. I relied upon the power of God. Now notice this in Acts chapter 9 verse 17. This is where Paul got the boom shakalaka power of God. How did he get it? By going to a conference? No. By reading somebody's book, showing up on Oprah's, uh, you know, who's who list? No. He got it when a man named Ananias placed his hands on him and said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here has sent me so that you can see again. Because he got blinded by the light. He got blinded by the light. That same one who blinded you knocked you off your ASS, but it has a jack in front of it. His donkey that he was riding on knocked him off of that. Are you all listening? Getting a little old school. Knocked him off of that, blinded him. Ananias says, God sent me here to lay hands on you that you may see again and be what? Come on, you better highlight it for me right now. And be what? Filled with the Holy Spirit. Brothers and sisters, that's where he got the power from. I've got the power. Well, where'd you get it from? Oh, I got it from being a woman. I got it from being a man. And then now what they're saying, I got it from my ancestors. My ancestors give me the power. No, where do we get the power from? The Holy Spirit. Saul's on his way to persecute Christians. He was a Jewish persecutor of the Christian church. He was there at Stephen's stoning, and yet God had a plan plan for him, showed up, blinded him by the light, knocked him on his butt, we'll say it like that, off the donkey he was riding on, say it like that. He gets knocked down, and then God says, I'm going to show you who I really am, and he's in that house just chilling. Everybody left him. He's blind, and another disciple, somebody that we don't hear much about, somebody that didn't write a book of the Bible, someone that isn't known for being amazing, but was called by God to go there and lay hands on them. Joe B., would you come here right now? We're going to demonstrate it. A lot of times, they, you know, you guys think maybe I preach a little boring. I don't have enough illustrations up here. Some of my pastor friends, they put on construction outfits and talk about God's building your life. Here, I'm construction worker Bob. And then another one's like, we're going to run our race for Jesus. And they come dressed like a marathon runner. I'm sorry we don't do that here. But you all ready for the illustration? He laid hands. Oh, no, I'm kidding. We don't want to push you down here. That's the old Pentecostal way. He laid hands on him. No, no, not like that. Not when you get in trouble with Father Tom. Listen to me. He laid hands on him, and he said, receive the Holy Spirit. You see, brothers and sisters, let's give it up for Joe B. That was a great illustration. There's two views about what's going on here. The first view is what we would call the Baptist view, and that is that he had not been regenerated yet in the Holy Spirit, and that now he's going to get the Holy Spirit as Jesus taught in John chapter 3, be born of the Spirit. He is now going to be born again as hands are laid on him. 
But is that what the Bible teaches, is that for you to become a born-again Christian, hands need to be laid on you? No, as the gospel is preached all throughout the scriptures, repentance, and when anybody calls on the name of Jesus, they are saved. Hands do not need to be laid on you. But that's what our Baptists try to say, because they don't want to become Bapticostal. They don't want the thing that comes next, which we're going to get to in Acts chapter 2. They don't want to speak in tongues. They don't want the power of God evidenced with that way. They just want to normalize this, like my brother was saying, so you can get invited to the who's who conference of the big names out there in the charismatic, or I should say the church zoo. They want you just to get along, but that's not what happened here. Paul didn't get saved here. Wasn't Paul already saved when he got knocked down off the donkey on his behind, and he called out to Jesus and called him Lord? The Bible says whoever confesses Jesus is Lord. That's Paul speaking. You shall be saved. He called Jesus Lord. That uh, passage up here as it tells his story, getting knocked off his horse. That's when he got saved. How many of you have called on Jesus and been saved? But did anybody have to lay hands on you to get the Holy Ghost for you to now know you're saved? No. So my Baptist brothers, they try to say, oh, well, because God is doing something new in the new covenant, the Holy Spirit for regeneration being born again had to be poured out like this. Now that ain't it. But then on the other side, there's the oneness Pentecostals. There's the, they're the ones who look like us, but they're a little bit weird. The women don't cut their hair. They wear long skirts, don't wear makeup, and then they shout and holler a lot. Anybody know about oneness Pentecostals? Apostolics, okay? And they're like us, that they believe in the power of the Holy Spirit coming on you, speaking in other tongues. But here's the thing. They say, like the Baptists, because the Baptists and the oneness Pentecostal make the same error, that you are seeing Paul get saved by the laying on of hands. But here's the thing. Unless Paul spoke in tongues, he was not saved. Because as we're going to go to in just a moment, Acts chapter 2, and why Ananias knew how to do this was for them to receive power, and when they received the power, they spoke in tongues. So the oneness Pentecostal says like the Baptist, this is a regeneration here, but hold on, Baptist, it's got to keep happening. So the only way you can be saved is if someone lays hands on you, you receive the Holy Spirit, and you speak in tongues. Now, where is the Baptist right? The Baptist is right that the Holy Spirit brings regeneration and doesn't necessarily bring tongues. That's where they're right. So those who have not spoken in tongues, you're still going to heaven. How many are happy? Marcus Rogers and any of the oneness Pentecostals out there are wrong. And they're wrong before many other reasons I don't have time to get into. But guess what? What the oneness Pentecostal has right with Marcus Rogers and some of these other personalities you may know, T.D. Jakes, get ready, get ready, get ready. He's another oneness. What they have right is that there is, with the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the laying on of hands, a sign that comes forth. But it's not for salvation. It's to be empowered. Do you want me to prove it to you? Now go to Acts chapter 2. You see, that's where Paul got the power. And you're going to know in just a few moments why I'm doing all of this. Because I can already hear people while Pastor Josh, Evangelist Josh was speaking, saying, well, that's good for Paul, but I don't know about me. I don't have a lot of power. No, none of us get out of this. Because when the Holy Ghost comes on us, we all get power. We're all going to be preachers like Josh. It's not just for us to get behind Josh and go, yeah. You go tell them. You go tell them. No, we're all going to tell them. We're all going to have the power, and it comes through the supernatural gift of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Can I hear an amen? 
working our way back. We'll get to Acts 1 in just a moment, but I want you to see in Acts 2. When the day, verse 1, of Pentecost came, that's why we're known as Pentecostals, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound that came like a a blowing violent wind came from heaven, filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each one of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Ghost. And what? Began to get saved and become a Christian? No, and began to what? Speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now, I want you to listen to me. If you have any traditional friends from the Roman Catholic Church or the Orthodox Church, we have a sister that's here on a visa to get her a college education from Ethiopia. God bless those saints of the Ethiopian Orthodox Church who go way back in the day and have withstood the persecution of the Muslims as well as the Coptics. Ancient churches, everybody say we love them, but they need to speak in tongues. Oh, you sound like you're speaking in tongues. Somebody say we love them. But they need the boom shakalaka power of God. I know you're trying. You're trying. I know the old way that the Pentecostals used to do when they laid hands on you. Repeat after me. I bought a Honda, but I should have bought a Toyota. Or I bought a Honda, and I should have bought a, uh, a, a, what's the, Hyundai, Honda. I I, I bought a Honda, but I should have bought a Hyundai. There we go. (laughs) No, we ain't making you speak in tongues and forcing that on you. But everybody notice, Peter spoke in tongues. Well, I go to the Catholic Church. My priest would never do this. Your pope did it. If Peter's the first pope, did he speak in tongues? Did he have the tongues of fire waving over him? Absolutely. Every saint you ever respected in this Bible spoke in tongues. Oh, y'all get quiet right now. You sound like Presbyterians, not Pentecostals. Is this a Pentecostal church? Amen. It's a casual. It's a comfortable. It's come as you are, but it's still a Pentecostal church. Notice what happened here. They spoke in unlearned languages. Tongues is simply glossolalia in the Greek. It means unlearned languages. These people will then hear their language being spoken. There is a miracle that's going to happen as these people speak in unknown languages, which you're going to then learn in 1 Corinthians 12 and 14 at further study. We teach this here. There will then be tongues in your life that others can understand that there is no need of an interpreter. It's as if you got the miracle of of another language, but that will not be the predominant use of your tongues. As Paul said in 1 Corinthians 14, that the predominant use of your tongues will be between you and God, a language no one understands. Your blank stares make me want to preach a little bit. Go to 1 Corinthians 14, 1, because I don't make up scripture, boys. Y'all ready for it? Because if the apostles got it, don't you want it? Amen. If God's given out power, do you want it? Amen. I just got an electric car so I could get off the gas, and then now I find out they're going to be raising prices on that, so they got me. I'm one of the suckers, I guess, because they're all like, uh, how are we going to pay for all this electric they're using? We've got to raise their prices. But just for right now, I'm saving a little bit. But you know what I had to do? I had to change my ampage so it wasn't trickle charge, that it was fast charge. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Any Elon Musk fans here? Okay, I'm the only one. Pray for me. I went electric. If you just take the plug from your car and plug it into your wall, it's going to take about a day to recharge that bad boy. You get that thing. You, I hear an amen over there. Thank you, man of God. You get that to what I believe, 240 volts. Yeah, you, you get the higher amperage. What used to take 24 hours now only takes an hour or two. Somebody say power. I want to make sure you get it. That's what I'm saying. I don't want no trickle charge here. Amen. 
Look at this, just so you can understand the tongues thing, because this is not my point today. My point is what he was just talking about. I want you to have the power like Paul. So here's Paul talking and helping us understand the details. Some got confused. Be very clear with you. Acts chapter 2, tongues. It's a miracle of languages to speak to the variety of people there at a Jewish festival. That's what's going on. But that's not what you're always going to be doing, nor I. I have done it at times, documented with witnesses that I have on my website so you can know I'm not one of the fruits, nuts, and flakes granola Christians. I have spoke in languages I did not uh, learn or understand, and others from that language said, I know what you just said. And it was for me my same prayer language. Can I hear an amen? It happened twice with people from India. One was a whole message I gave him, and he told us right back to, uh, to us what I had said to him. Another one said that when I was praying in tongues, I kept saying fire and fire and fire. That sounds about right because that's what I feel a lot of times. Fuego de Dios and the casa ahora and the nombre Jesus. See, those are some languages for you. Follow the way of love, eagerly desire gifts of the Spirit, especially to prophesy. For anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to people but to God. You see, that's going to be the primary way you use this gift. It primarily will not be used for men, but it will be used for God. Indeed, no one understands them. See, in Acts chapter 2, a group of people understood them because that was a part of the miracle of Pentecost breaking the curse of Babel. Babel is the place where we got our languages from because we tried to build a tower towards heaven. When God cursed us with multiple languages, then from there, by our language, we developed culture. That is why now you have homogeneous cultures is because they were around the language and from the language in their environment they developed the different eyes and skin tones and all of that but how many know there's one race the human race and how many know now through technology we are gapping the barrier of the Babel curse but God did it in Pentecost by letting everyone miraculously hear the gospel and the praise of God in their language can I hear an amen but notice what Paul is saying as he's getting to the nitty gritty of understanding the spirit He's saying those who speak in a tongue are not going to be really speaking to God, uh, to people, but they're going to be speaking to who? To God. Indeed, no one understands them. They utter mysteries by the Spirit. So generally, when I speak in an unlearned language that the power of the Holy Spirit has given me, it's a language you don't understand, I don't even understand, but God understands. It's a mystery. Now, will we also sing in tongues? Oh, yes, we're going to sing in tongues. Let's go down a little bit. We ain't too crazy, but you all want to sing in tongues with me? Some of us want to follow the Bible. Keep on going down. Notice what it says right here. Verse 13, for this reason, the one who speaks in tongues should pray that they may interpret what they say. So if I came before you and I started speaking about the fuego de Dios and no one understood me, I need to make sure I interpret it. That's the same way with the spiritual language. If I have a spiritual language and I don't interpret it, no one knows what I'm saying. But if I'm talking to God, that's okay. You don't need to know what's going on. Somebody look at your neighbor right now and say, mind your business. I'm speaking in tongues. Mind your business. Anybody ever see that, that little video where they ask this African-American woman, they, they say, what you up to? And then she comes up out the chair and she says, my business is my business. My business ain't your business. I show that to my kids and I'm like, that's how I am right now. My business ain't your business. You go mind your business. Can I hear an amen for some sass in the church? So listen, when I'm talking to God and the Holy Spirit, that's my business. That's between me and God. That's his business, really. 
But if I have to give a message, I better have an interpretation. Otherwise, we just run around making a bunch of noises, and that's where that confusion comes from. We're going to get to the power, but I'm taking the rabbit trail because of the blank stairs. You may just be tired, but now you're getting a lesson. Did you learn? Okay, but we're also going to sing in tongues. Notice what he says. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. So what shall I do? I will pray with my spirit, and I'll pray with my understanding. So there's going to be times when I pray, and I say, Father, and in heaven, I call on you now. I ask you to do this in my family. And then there's other times I'm just going to speak in tongues. Does everybody get that? And then there's times right here it says, then I will sing with my spirit, but I will sing with my understanding. So there's going to be times where I go, amazing grace, how sweet. And then there's times I'm going to do it in tongues. And some of y'all want to hear my tongue right now because you're weird and I'm not going to do it. Speak in tongues for us, pastor, so we all can hear. No, I'm not doing that for you. I'm not entertaining you that way. Some pastors mock it, and they think that's the way to get your attention, but I'm not going to do it because I believe in tongues. I believe it's sacred. If you overhear me doing it, that's okay, but that's between me and God. Look at your neighbor and say, mind your business. My business ain't your business. Now, listen here. Somebody say the power. Go back to Acts 2. Go back to it. They receive the Holy Spirit. They speak in tongues. You see it right there. Amen? Now go to Acts chapter 1, working our way back here. Acts chapter 1, Jesus speaking to them. Look there in verse 4. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you'll be baptized with the what? The Holy Spirit. Now, once again, unless you want to be a Baptist missing it or a oneness Pentecostal, you've got to understand properly what does it mean to be baptized in the Spirit. Well, that just means we're saved. Well, they weren't saved here. Hold your place right there. See, in my Bible, I got the paper when we get spoiled today because we shouldn't have a Bible up there until July, but we, until uh, August, because they just getting just too lazy on the karaoke, you know? I was preaching the whole time, and they, had, they wouldn't even have the phone open, man. I said, I said man, we got to shut down the karaoke screen. How many enjoying it, though? You're like, oh, Pastor, I like the karaoke. Okay, but now in this paper Bible, watch me flip it back. Somebody say, back that thing up. I'm going to back it up, back it up right here. I know I'm acting silly today. I got a guest here. I'm showing off. I am so sorry. Pray for me. <sighs> Chapter 20. Look at what it says in verse 21. Again, Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. Verse 22 of chapter 20 of John. And with that, he breathed on them and said, what? See, that's why, see, look at this. Because this didn't get there quick enough. You all weren't with me, but you were with me. Can we get him a gift card? I want to give you a $25 gift card to Dunkin' Donuts. Let's give it up for this man of God right here. Helping the preacher. I don't have anything against my sound team. I know I preach fast. I know I do. But I don't know what verse, I don't know where he was at. But didn't, didn't I say John chapter 20? Because sometimes I listen back and I'm wrong. But did I say John 20? Because you found it, right? Yeah, yeah, I said back that thing up. That's the first thing I said. We've been like legit. But didn't I say John chapter 20? How did you know how to get to that scripture? So who knew where, I, I said it wrong? But I never said John. You're good then, my man. Let's give it up for our sound guy back there. <sighs> Take a breath right now. It's all me, man. John chapter 20, verse 21. Help me, Holy Ghost. 
Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I'm sending you. And with that, he what? He breathed on them. And what did he say? Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, they are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they will not be forgiven. That's not just for the Pope. That's for any true Christian preaching. Now, hold on. Go back to Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1. I thought he said right there, you got to wait for the promise that my father said he would give you, and you will receive that promise. And then later on, he's going to say about that promise given power. Now, hold on, Baptist. If getting the baptism of the Holy Spirit means you're saved, then what was breathed on them in John's gospel? See, John's gospel ends with the point of salvation. The whole entire gospel has been about Jesus being the one who sends the Holy Spirit, restores us into relationship with God. Remember John's gospel, it says, those who received him, those who believed in his name, he gave them the right to become children of God, children not born of naturalness and a father's will, those things, but born by God. Can I hear an amen? And then in John 3, unless you're born again, you cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Is everybody tracking with me? And then he says in John 14, 15, and 16, it's good that I go away, that I send to you the Holy Spirit, another like the Father, like me, and he will be with you. Amen. And then at the end of the gospel, he breathes on them the Holy Spirit. But the book of Acts now says, wait, look at it, wait for the gift my Father promised, which you have heard me speak about. Wait for that. John baptized with water, but in a few days, you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. It can't be the same thing. Do you see why the Baptist? And the oneness Pentecostal both get it wrong. The Baptists and the oneness Pentecostal both say it's for salvation. No, it's not. That's what happened in John chapter 20. Where they have something right is where the Baptist says, you can have the Holy Spirit and not speak in tongues. That's right, because that's what happened in John 20. But remember, they try to say that somehow it changes in the book of Acts from what you and I now receive in the book of Acts to receive the Holy Spirit, to be born again. They needed hands laid on them, like Paul when we started in Acts 9. But I don't see that happening in your life. Did somebody have to lay hands on you to be saved? Of course not. So the one that's Pentecostal then is right by saying, hey, Baptist, something happens. They spoke in tongues. It's not just ordinary business, and it's not just salvation, which, of course, is extraordinary. But it's not just ordinary business. It's supernatural. Something happens. But then what do they say? Unless you speak in tongues, you're not saved. Can I hear an amen to that being wrong? What is the truth? Putting them both together and separating the lies. You are born by the Spirit the moment you believe in Jesus. That's what the disciples had breathed on them. They are born again, just like you and I have been born again. Was there any sign or wonder that shows in John chapter 20 that they were born again? Any sign or wonder after the breath of the Holy Spirit came? No. Was there any sign or wonder after I got saved at my mother's kitchen table November 5th, 1995? No. You would have looked at me from the first moment I got at the kitchen table to when I left the kitchen table and said, I don't see a miracle here. I don't see any sign or wonder. But how many know I was saved that day? How many know Jesus came into my heart? I got high off the most high. Give Jesus a try, right? So what's he talking about here? What exactly he said? The baptism of the Holy Spirit. Doesn't it just say that right there? Would you highlight it for me? The baptism with the Holy Spirit. That's not salvation. That's something different. Nowhere will you find in Acts chapter 1 or in Acts chapter 2 in this entire dialogue or interaction anything to do with salvation. 
Jesus said to the disciples, boys, you wait here in the upper room, then the Holy Spirit comes, you'll have the fruit of the Spirit, and then you'll be saved. No, he doesn't say that. He says, I want you to wait here because like how John was baptizing in Agua, you about ready to get baptized in what? Fuego. Now think about that illustration. They probably didn't understand the symbology because they knew John's water was real. They're thinking, oh man, we about ready to get hot up in this place. You about ready to dunk me in some fire, some lava? Thank God when the Holy Ghost came down, it wasn't lava, amen? The burning bush didn't burn up, but it was still on fire, if you know what I mean. Now keep on going. They start talking about the kingdom. Jesus is like, you are off base right now. You don't understand what I'm talking about. Do not worry about the times or the dates the Father has set by his authority. Christians still arguing about the second coming. That's going to be going on forever until Jesus comes back and settles who's right. But look at verse 8. Highlight it, please. But you will receive what? Power. What was he talking about Paul relying on? Power. What happened when Ananias laid hands on Paul? He got what? Power. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my preachers. You will be my mission. No, no. You will be my conference speakers. No, you will be my what? Witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Come on, somebody. Give it up for Jesus today. You didn't think two preachers could preach a message in less than an hour, but that was a miracle. All I wanted to do was just jump on your pony with you and ride that in because I want people to know how to get Paul's power. That's how you get it. I don't have this in myself. I have a personality. I know that God makes us all different. Some are introverts, extroverts, type A, you know, et cetera. Now they're doing beta versus alpha. Man, we love you. We love all the different personalities here. Some are sweet. Some are sassy. You know which one that is in my marriage. Of course, I'm the sweet one. No, I'm kidding. I'm definitely the sassy one. Nice Nancy over there. Can, she, can you believe she puts up with me? We're all of these personalities. And yet God asks us to do something that's, really intimidating to all of us. Let's just be honest. If you're like me and you're an extrovert and you're a type A, what intimidates people like us to go preach the gospel and live by the power of God? Rejection. See, I'm a likable guy. I'm used to being liked by my friends in the classroom. I remember one time when I was asked to give a speech. I gave a speech, and it was about, you know, a book report or something. And this is when I knew I had a gift in this, is that they all clapped, and then they said, do it again. No one else was asked to do it again. So I I literally went and told the speech again. But how many know that makes sense if you know me? That makes sense. You know, like, here's a guy that's gifted at doing that. But guess what? You may think it's easy for me to want to go preach. It's not. Because facing rejection is my biggest fear. You ask any comedian, any person that's an outward personality, that's their biggest rejection. They don't want to feel rejected. They don't want people not to laugh at their jokes. They don't want people to walk away from them and now make fun of them because they had a gift and no one appreciated it. So you may think, well, extroverts, extroverts, they have it so much easier to be a witness. No, we don't. Pastors, let me just share this with you as the inside scoop, and I'm sure he'll affirm it. God is my witness, and as your witness, don't be a yes man up here. But would you say pastors, on average, deal with insecurity more than most people groups that you have ever met? Absolutely. Pastors are some of the most insecure people I've ever met. They're almost like Elijah. They will do amazing things in public, but the moment the the spotlight is done, man, they easily become afraid, fall apart with their wife. I'm telling my story, telling on myself my own story, and need to be built back up because we're insecure in our own personality, but yet God asks us to do it. 
Now, the introverts, what's your biggest thing? Of course, it's rejection as well, but it's facing the fear that nobody will like you. It's the same idea of rejection, but the reason why you keep everything in is because you don't want to put something out there that people don't like, and you want to be liked. And if they don't like it, you'll just keep it in, and you'll be your own best friend. And then you'll be the one friend that finds another introvert, and then you guys will be the one in the lunch table that always are sitting by yourselves with each other, you know? I can always tell that in the youth group, you know, there's always a couple of kids that just go sit over there and they're just like talking to each other. And then when you get close to them, they stop talking <laughs> because they don't want you to hear what they have to say because then you may not like them because they just finally found somebody to open up to. It's very similar to rejection. I'm sure it's, you could say it's almost the same, but it's like you want people to like you and I, I don't want to be rejected. So how do we do this? Because the whole entire point now of being a witness is to go out there and talk about Jesus everywhere we go. The whole point about us spreading the message with our coworkers, with our friends, is so that they can be saved. It's not about us. It's not about our personalities. Do you know that I've gotten tired of the, well, my pastor's here. He'll try to help on when we're doing outreaches because I never help. You guys bring me over like as if, here comes my pastor. He's going to save the day. 20 minutes later, they're more angry at me than they were at you. They walk away upset, and I'm like, you are doing just fine. But seriously, it's always, it's always like, go get pastor, go get pastor. Here's my pastor. He'll talk to you now. And then it's somebody like, I'm non-binary atheist who was raised a Muslim, and I now identify as a Hindu. I'm trying to understand what they were saying. And then I go through all of these arguments with them all the time. I've been studying, and I'm like, so what, do you, what God do you like, Ganesh, Krishna? And I'm just going through this whole thing. And at the end of the day, they're like, blankety blank you. I kind of like that person, but I'm leaving now. So I always go back to that person. And I'm like, you were doing amazing. You could have just handled this on your own. But see, a lot of people's mind, let's get the pastor to help out. Let's get the pastor to do it. No, that's not what Jesus said. Jesus didn't say, I'm going to give just a certain few the gift. I'm going to give it to everybody. Quickly in Numbers, I want to show you why. Because in the Old Testament, that's the way it was done. Go to Numbers chapter 11, verse 23. Somebody say, this is second service. We can take it. Half of you, come on, let me just get a few more minutes. I just want to say this because I feel like this would help you. I had an extra land yep if I could do it. I wasn't going to do it, but now I feel the Lord bringing me back. Look at a, uh, Numbers eleven sixteen. The Lord said to Moses, bring me 70 of Israel's elders who are known to you as leaders and officials. Okay, so here's what most church people think. You bring, God is saying, bring to me just the leaders, and I'm going to do something in their life. Somebody say, just the leaders. Okay, now notice this. This is Old Testament. This is Old Covenant. So God is saying, you just get me the leaders, Moses. Get me the leaders. Get me the officials. Have them come to the tent of meeting where I stand there with you. I will come down, speak with you there. I will take some of the power of the Spirit that is on you, and I will put it on them. Everybody go, ah, ah, you learned a little bit there, right? So in the Old Testament, when God wanted to disperse the power, he went to the one in charge, like Moses. He said, you go and get the leader. So pick out this one, this one, this one. Oh, not that one. Oh, certainly not this one. Get the leaders, right? Come on. How many know that feeling is a bit intimidating when you're getting picked for gym class and, you know, on a sport? So that's what it was like. Yeah, nah, that's maybe, you, you know, that's what's going on there. That's what people think the Christian church is like. But that was the old covenant. Somebody say, the new is better for you. Now, some of you at the end of this are going to be like, "Uh, I kind of wish it was the way it used to be because I don't want to do this. But no, get over that. But this is the way it was in the Old Testament. Now, watch this right here. 
the Holy Spirit came on them. Start in verse 25. Then the Lord came down in the cloud, that's the Holy Spirit, spoke with them, and he took some of the power of the Spirit that was on him, put it on the 70 elders, and when the Spirit rested on them, they prophesied but did not do so again. See, that's what a lot of people think the church is like. Go get the leaders. Holy Ghost is going to come down. We'll shake, rattle, and roll. Maybe prophesy, and then that's not going to happen again until the revival starts again or the evangelist comes again. But that's not the story of the Bible. Go back to Acts chapter 2. When the Holy Spirit comes on all of them, somebody say all of them. It wasn't just the leaders. It wasn't just the officials. There was 120 there, male and female. Notice what Peter says, verse uh, 17 of chapter 2 of Acts. He starts to quote Joel, which was the promise of the new covenant. He said, in the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on how many people? All people. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Do you see the difference between the old and the new? Somebody say, the new is better for you. Amen. Would you stand up with me, please? Can you bless the Lord today, saints? Come on. Are you blessed by the word? How many want the power of God today? Band and altar workers, would you come, please? We still got it done in about an hour. Amen. This is like a conference. You guys having a good time?